0: Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you from the Drunk Gossip Studios, and it is True Crime Saturday. Um, it's really bizarre, not really bizarre, it's, it's one of those things I never expected, that you guys really truly love the true crime um, episodes. They're usually among the most listened to of the week, so thank you so much. And, as you know, I read True Crime, so I do enjoy it. Uh, this first segment um, was something I wrote about earlier this week. Called, um, in an article called Love and Murder. It takes place here in Manhattan. And, but we had to do a little time travel. Back to 1996. Howard Pilmar... Was a very successful businessman. Um, he owned King's Office Supplies. And as his sales started to decline a little, he's, he was worrying about what he was going to do. You know, there was this whole thought process that he could lose everything. And he was, you know, he was married to this woman who he really couldn't stand, but he didn't dislike enough, at, at least up until a certain point, to divorce. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, her name was Rosalind. Rosalind and her brother, Evan, Evan Maud, worked for Howard. So the first Phillips the first was a really like a gourmet coffee shop and what Howard had done was completely brilliant. He had noticed that there was an uprising in coffee shop boutiques and he wanted to get some in Manhattan. Once he did, bada boom bada bing, they were everywhere. And everything seemed to be going his way. Money was flowing in. The only thing that he wasn't really happy with was his wife. So, at some point in 1996, um, I read the New York Times, the, the Post, um, the Daily News, and there's no dates um, involved. With when he went to talk to a divorce lawyer. But they all agree that at some point he went to talk to a divorce lawyer. And this seemed to really take Roslyn off. But Roslyn was under her own pressure. See, she had stolen more than $160,000 from a dentist office where she worked. And the dentist found out about it and was going to call um, the police and have her charged with embezzlement. But she begged and begged and begged and finally they relented and agreed that she could pay them back. But she actually had to pay them back. Now, I don't know if there was some sort of reputation where like it had to be stipulated that she definitely had to pay them back. But it certainly seems that way because um, just with anyone was that adamant about something, it seems a little off to me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Anyway, so they were adamant that she, that she had to pay them back. not not really such a big deal because why wouldn't you want to get your money back, right? Right. So if that was all she had to deal with, she probably could have gone to her husband and admitted what she did. And then, you know, got him to help her out. Maybe he wouldn't have liked it, but It could have been cheaper than a divorce settlement. But she didn't. And then she almost lost one of the coffee shops that she was put in charge of. Because she wasn't paying taxes on that either. She owed the IRS almost $14,000 in taxes. And they had threatened to shut down... This particular, this particular location if she didn't pay that money back. So she was backed into a corner, didn't know what to do. Evan was ever the protective big brother and had told people that he would kill Howard if Howard ever hurt his sister. Now, as a big brother, I completely understand that. To some people it seems irrational. It seems. Very odd. But. I just want to say. Like I get it. Because I've. I've warned my sisters boyfriends. And husbands. uh, The same thing. And if any of them. Are ever killed. I fully anticipate them coming and talking to me. But anyways. <clears throat> so one on March twenty first, nineteen ninety six, Howard was doing some final paperwork at his office and Rosalind came to see him. Now, there are reports that saw them together, saw them arguing but no one knows what was said I don't know if that's odd or not living in Manhattan gives you a new perspective on things um, you could almost make the case that it's not that odd to see a couple fighting and most New Yorkers probably really would not pay any attention to it And at some point, Evan joined them. What we know happened next is Howard was stabbed. His throat was slit, his heart was pierced, and his lung was pierced. He was left in a pool of his own blood. And an employee came in the next day and found his corpse. Rosalind cashed in a insurance policy for $1.2 million. And she inherited his businesses and all of his assets. So she was pretty much on easy street. And she would have gotten away with it too. the police zeroed in on her and her brother right away. Now, I was talking to Natalie earlier. um, Because she asked me about the... uh, Not earlier. uh, Earlier in the week, I should say. Because I was telling her about this article. And we started talking about the... You know, why does it take so long? In this case, they zeroed in on... Um, Rosalind and Evan almost immediately but all they could come up with was circum- circumstantial evidence they couldn't they didn't have any hard proof there was no murder weapon or anything like that but there was some of Evan's blood was found at the scene which they were finally able to match through DNA tests and a jury earlier in 2019, earlier this year, convicted um, Rosalind and Evan of second-degree murder. Now, um, their lawyers are saying that they're going to fight it and, you know, fight the power or whatever. And there's a good chance that they're going to win an appeal. Let's be real here. They, the circumstantial evidence is probably not enough, but Evans' blood being at the scene and the cut on his hand is very damning. And there's, a good, there's also a possibility that the appeals court won't hear it. So it's a very interesting case. And if nothing else, the prosecutors definitely got their conviction and their win. Which is probably what's really important to them. So, I am going to go and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, this this story is one that confounds me and it's very, very graphic. Amanda Logue... ...was knocked up at 17. Uh, She dropped out of school... ...to care for her child, and then... uh, ...she had her mom's help. And then her mom died when she was 19. And she was all alone. Um, And several times... She was dating a guy several times. The cops were called. And one of the cops took a little shining to her. They fell in love, got married... And the husband kept encouraging Amanda to get into modeling. So Amanda got into modeling. And at first it was just part-time stuff. And then um, she started becoming very popular. <coughs> and she began modeling full-time. Well, her, her cop husband... Got injured on the job and she had to do even more work. And so she started doing more revealing photo shoots and thing and then started getting into like fetishes like feet and whatnot. And finally, this all led to her doing porn. She filmed a scene with Jason Andrews. And. Their scene was sizzling together. And when the camera stopped rolling. They kept fucking. Now. This seems like a really old story. And if you've read it as much true crime as I have. You think you know where the story is going? You're wrong in this case. So normally, the story would go that she, she killed her husband, yada yada yada, but that's not what happened here. Instead, instead she and Jason ran off, and she completely planned on divorcing. Her husband. Um, Jason was known in the Chicago era as DJ Vertus. And he developed quite a following, and somewhere along the way, he was encouraged to do porn. So, he appeared in straight and gay scenes. Um, His gay scenes were with Sean Cody. Which, there's something weird about this whole Sean Cody thing. Um, Kyle Dean was a Sean Cody model. And several other porn stars were, were involved with Sean Cody and ended up either dead or behind bars. But I digress. So... Okay, so they're down in in Alabama and Amanda starts doing erotic massages. Now, there's nothing scandalous about this. In fact, I would almost argue that it's almost normal that um, she would end up doing this. Um, so they're, they're down in Florida. I don't know why I said that. It. it was, it was Florida. Forgive me. Um, they're down in Florida. She's doing erratic massages. She gets hired by a man by the name of Dennis Abramson. And to, to give him a massage. At some point between the time she was hired and when this actually took place, Jason tells Amanda that he has this thing about, he gets off thinking about killing people. Now there are some really dark fetishes, but this is the darkest of the dark that I've, uh, that I've personally heard of. So they roleplay that a couple times, and then the massage happens. And it's, it somehow ends up being Amanda, Dennis, and Jason. And they're all messing around and whatnot. And then they kill Dennis. um, They use a sledgehammer Bash his head stole um, the money in his wallet, stole his laptop and credit cards, and then they went and had sex. And then and, and this is where the boom goes and the dynamite should happen, but no, it gets even freakier. So they went and had sex. And the cops are called th- because Dennis' body's discovered, obviously. And they, they notice, they start to try to p- um, place Amanda at the scene. And they're having a hard time doing that until she admits that she gave him a massage and fondled him. Okay, not a, you know, not necessarily great, but not damning but they, they can't connect the phone number that was called to, to her. So Jason and Amanda are let go. They break up and go their separate ways. Amanda goes back to her husband to try to repair the marriage, which I don't know how you repair your marriage after doing porn and leaving your husband for a porn star. I don't understand, but so she goes to try to repair her marriage, and Jason goes up to, uh, I believe it was Kentucky, uh, yeah, Tennessee, so he goes up to Tennessee and is working at a cigar bar. And the police just keep trying to make these two fit. And they find blackberries with the SIM cards missing. So they go and, you know, they they start to question. And then they are able to retrieve the messages between Amanda and Jason where they actually plot to kill Dennis. And then talk about having sex afterwards. And, and having sex afterwards is part of their plan. What the actual So Um Both are arrested again. Both are uh, both are tra- are um charged. Amanda got second degree murder, Jason first. Both ended up pleading guilty. Uh, Amanda swears that Jason is the one who actually did the killing. Um, She got 25 years, no parole. Uh, Jason got life with no parole. And this has to be one of the, one of, if not the most twisted cases I've ever written about. And yes, I am most definitely um, going to be writing about this one in a future book. But for right now, I'm going to go and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, we're going to wrap up this episode with another murder. And, you know the The reason why I chose some of these crimes was because they were fascinating um and Delvey, um the the McDonald's forgotten mix scam those are really fascinating to me um uh, because they were able to perpetrate a fraud. Yes, people died, but not well not not in in Anna Delvey story but um in the in the McDonald's story. People died, but it it was because they were killed. Um, but the murder, some of these murders are just so grotesque and uh, whatever. The case of, Shell. Colvin, it, the reason why I pause this is because every time I say the last name Colvin, I think of the song "Suddenly Came Home" by Sean Colvin. And it's just, it's, it's messed with my mind. Um. So. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. This is very serious. It's true crime, I'm not supposed to be laughing. Um. But the, but the truth is that that's, that's just what it is. So, Shel Colvin was a Manhattan night. She was um, on the wealthier side. And she'd been married to her husband, Roderick, for about 10 years. And on their 10-year anniversary, Roderick came home with a special, special request. And, uh, okay. When I, when I was dating a guy last long-term, his special request for me on our anniversary was for me to give him a blowjob. No big deal, I did it all the time. Um, but that's kind of what I I expect from, from guys. It that kind of request. Roderick though was like, no, I'm gonna take this up a notch. Hold my condom. And he asked his wife. For permission to cheat on her. That's a little facetious. Um. What he actually asked for was an open relationship, but i don 't hear the difference. Shell said no and filed for divorce she was She was heartsick and just disgusted, and the marriage wasn 't going that well anyway. so once she filed for divorce, Roderick started to freak out because he didn 't work. In fact, all throughout the marriage, he didn't really work that much, and she was so she was the breadwinner, and if she left him, he would be left with nothing. Because chances are, he wasn't going to get custody of their daughter. So, he killed her. And you know that that on its own isn't worthy. Of being a true crime story, I, I mean it is of course because someone died, and there there are a lot of emotions at play and and whatnot. But when I when I cover a true crime, I like the really the ones with the big twist, and you know, the kind that Shonda Runs would just have a field day with. And this one offers up a doozy of a twist. So, right after they buried Shell, Roderick started dating a new woman, and the police were the police were not really investigating the death. They kind of just assumed that she just slipped and fell in the tub and hit her head and died. It w- it could have been just a very easy open and shut case. But something in the back of the detectives had just kept nagging at him. Um, and the the family had first um, declined to have an autopsy done for religious reasons. And I'm guessing Roderick knew that they were going to do that. And that's how he um, planned to get away with the murder. But then the, the, the detectives went back and said, hey, look... We know religious and whatever, but this needs to be looked into. And the family said, okay, yeah, please, please look into this. We loved her. We want to know what happened. So they looked into it, and they started noticing that she didn't die from a, a head injury. She had been strangled. Dun, dun, dun. So then the cop was like, all right, you know, now we got to start figuring out who had a motive. And lo and behold, they found, well, they didn't find, they started looking at Roderick. And they, you know, the family started to say, well, you know, She did file for divorce from him after their anniversary, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then the the moment he'd been dating, they broke up. And she went forward to the cops and said, hey, like, this is what he's going to do. So what was he going to do? Roderick, in his infinite, infinite wisdom, decided that his nine-year-old daughter was going to take the fall for him. You heard me right. He was framing his nine-year-old daughter. Now, what kind of thank you gift do you give for framing someone for murder? I'm asking for Roderick. (laughs) So, what he did is he composed an email saying that she was so sorry that her and her mom had gotten into a big fight and she pushed her really hard into the tub and that's how she died except for they knew that she had been strangled the The email was obviously never sent. I shouldn't say obviously. The email was never sent. But they did find it in the draft folder in the little girl's email. Roderick Colvin is now on trial in Manhattan for the murder of his wife, Shell. As soon as I get an update on this, I will bring it to you. Um, But again, that's just the kind of case that really tickles my fancy, so to speak. That's going to do it for the true crime episode of Drunk Gossip. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, cheers. And I am back. So, this true crime story is a a little weird even for me. Um it, 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 it involves an Iowa man and woman. Uh his name is Todd Mullis and her name is Amy. And so Todd and Amy got married. And right from the beginning their marriage was a little bit troubled. They were fighting. And it seems like, okay, a lot of people fight. A lot of people... Well, whatever, you know. It's not that big of a deal. And it's certainly not one of those things where it's going to make people stop and scratch their heads and say, hmm, maybe they shouldn't be married. Um, You know... In just about every relationship I've ever been in, we've taken to bickering, like an old married couple. Most of the time, it gets irritating and I move on. Um, because who wants to bicker all the time? Anyway, so... Sometime around... And I don't know why that just sounded so Southern. Um... They got married in 2004, and sometime in 2013, Amy started having an affair, and while she was having this affair, Todd found out and got angry, and he's, he's justified in his anger that his wife was cheating on him. But he didn't want to get a divorce for some reason. A little bit shocking because normally when someone is cheated on, they <coughs> normally when someone is cheated on, they will, um, they they won't want to stay married. So the fact that he wanted to stay married in and of itself is is odd. But he did and um, after a trial separation they reconciled. And Amy swore that she would try to work on the marriage. And she did for a few years. Until... Dun dun dun. The problem with having production notes is sometimes I get lost in them. So sometime last July she began having another affair. And... She started telling friends, hey, like, if Todd finds out, I'm in trouble. Is she even went as far as to say to, to one friend, if I disappear, if I'm murdered, Todd did it. You know, that is not the sign of a happy marriage. And if, if someone thinks it is, they're sadly, sadly mistaken. Because, (coughs) excuse me. I just don't know how else to, how else to say this, like. There has to be some sort of threat. There, you you know that there's something not quite right. Um. And so. In November of 2018, Amy died. No, that's not correct. Amy was killed. So here's what happened. A corn rake was plunged into her back. Todd had found out about the affair. They were sleeping in separate bedrooms. Things were not pleasant between them. And Todd called an ambulance and said, hey, my wife fell on this corn rake and she's dead. The paramedics came out, you know, and she was indeed dead. But when when they were performing an autopsy, they were like, wait a minute. The rake had four prongs, but there's at least six holes. What is actually going on here? And no one said anything, no one said anything. And finally, <coughs> they arrested Todd under suspicion of murder. And and they did it. Part of the investigation, and I don't know how dumb you have to be to do this, but part of the investigation showed that on his iPad, he had Googled what happened to cheating spouses in historic Aztec tribes and killing unfaithful women. Like, you know, I know normally on. Um, I know normally on um, true crime Saturday segments. I don't do this a lot, but I'm gonna break here. I do a lot of weird stuff. I really do. It, it's. It's just one of those things. Um. I'm a writer, I have to look into weird shit all the time. Uh, My favorite that I looked up... And it's really funny because at the time I was seeing a cop. And he had walked up behind me and I didn't realize it was him. And I had googled how to embezzle money. And the look on his face... I'll tell you that story during a, a drunk writing segment one day. Back to the, the mall and so. So he had Googled this and. He, and then he was like, no, no, that wasn't me, no. But he never let the kids use his laptop or anything like that. So he was arrested and he was charged with first degree murder. And he's awaiting his arraignment, which should, um, which is happening, well, which happened on March 8th. He put in a not guilty plea, which I'm really confused by, but I, I guess to each their own. And for me, I'm gonna go and I'll be right back. And I am back. And this next story is one that suits me to a T. So, Jarek Wentworth was a very popular porn star. He did, um, if you look up, if you Google him, you're going to see a lot of daddy roles. Um, And you're going to see that... Within that field, he was probably the top uh, the, the probably the top actor if if he's not the top he's near very near the top and I'm not gonna apologize or take the, excuse me or take that back um because I hadn't heard about this before. I actually stumbled upon the story in a in a weird way, which again, I'll tell you. Later, but so. The, so I googled him. and I so I could familiarize myself. Um, for the full story, go read. Um, extortion porn style. Um, over on Vocal Media, I wrote it. Anyways. He. In. Um, By June of 2013, Jarek met Donald Burns. Now, if you don't know who Donald Burns is, he's not a conglomeration of Trump and Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. He... Even though it really sounds like he is. He's actually... A billion, a conservative billionaire who would give to a lot of right-wing politicians. And he also gave to a lot of LGBT causes. And so, Jarek and Donald met up, started talking, and actually had a uh, an allegedly brief affair. I say allegedly because while well, neither deny it, neither have confirmed it either. So they had this affair, and after a while, and again, I there's no real timeline for me to give you guys here, because I don't know. Um, but at some point, they decided, hey, we're not really suited. Um, we're not really suited to, to be together. And as, as hard as this is to hear, like, you know, let's, let's go our separate ways. And then he was like, Donald was like, wait, wait, no, no, let's not go our separate ways. Let's work together. So Donald's plan was to have Jarek bring him young men who would have sex with him for money, and these these guys would come in, have group sex, or whatever Donald wanted to do in that for that day and they would leave with envelopes stuffed with cash and for every man that Jarek brought Donald Donald would pay him twenty thousand dollars not a bad way to make a living and this was a very fruitful um Business arrangement for both of them. Until one day, one of the guys that Jarek had sent to hook up with Donald decided he didn't want to do this. He didn't want to hook up with an old man. So Donald called Jerick and was like, hey, like, you got to give me the money back. And Jerick was like, no, no, I don't. Mm-mm, no, not going to happen. So Donald was like, you know what? Fuck it off. Which did not sit well with Jarek. Jarek was like, um, excuse me, no. mm And so the two began uh, this increasingly tense relationship. And one day, Jerk was like, look. Give me $500,000 and the title to this car, or else I'm telling everyone what I know. And I was like, fine, whatever. The car was worth $180,000. It was an Audi something or another. So he signs over everything, per the request... And that really should have been the end of it, right? It wasn't. Um, so, Jarek was getting really, really angry and thinking about the deal that they used to have and how... It was good for so long. Until Donald just decided that he didn't want to continue on with it. So Jerry was like, fuck this. I deserve more. So he called Donald and he was like, go look at Twitter. And on Twitter, he had posted a message about knowing Burns, knowing Donald Burns, and what he was into. And he told, allegedly told Donald that he could make things a whole lot worse. And if Donald didn't want things to get worse for himself, he needed to fork over a million dollars. And um, needed to sign over a title to a condo that Derek was, was living in. So they were like, Jerick was Donald was like, Mm-mm, and he called the FBI and went like, "Hey, like I'm being blackmailed." So he, he took all the evidence and the FBI set up a scene where they met at a Starbucks, and Jarek was under the impression that he was about to get you know, the mother load. And so, so Jerk met with an FBI agent, didn't realize he was an FBI agent, since it, he was undercover. They went out, and Jerk thought he was about to get his million dollars, and instead he got arrested. And they, they did find a weapon, um, a gun, in Jerk's car. So they're presuming, but they can't prove, that Jerk had intended to kill Donald Burns. as if the story isn't twisted enough Jarek has um twice appealed and lost uh, he was convicted of um, blackmailing conspiracy and, but he's appealed twice saying that he never actually blackmailed Donald um, all he said is this is what Uh, This is what's on Twitter. What are you going to give me? And um, the appeals judges didn't really buy that argument. You know, appeals judges can be such douches sometimes. You know, they don't they won't even listen to you when you say you didn't blackmail someone when you clearly blackmailed someone. You know, it's... It's such a shame when judges won't let you lie to them. Um, So he's still serving out. Um, he... He's not expected to get out of jail until... At the earliest, I believe it was 2020. Um, And Donald Burns... Was indeed out obviously, because... Here we are. Uh, We're talking about him. I'm not sure that a lot of people... Realize that this was a thing, because it didn't hit the mainstream media. Which, again, could have been... Burns' influence, or it could have been just one of those stories where they were like, nah, we'll we'll pass for now. Um, But that's going to do it for this episode of True Crime Saturday. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. And until next episode, I'm raising my martini glass and saying cheers.